Good morning. If you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew? And we're going to be starting in the 25th chapter of Matthew. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell the oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him and to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bag and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, You have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew you're a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So so you knew I harvested where I have not sown? And gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The word of the Lord. Good to start the day with an encouraging word. (laughs) 
One of the unfortunate things about being familiar with something is if you tend to think of it in the wrong way, it's really, really hard to shake that picture of it in your mind. Have you ever gone back to somewhere where you used to live, that you've been gone a long time, and you're driving around, and it it's not the way you remember it? You're like, I swear there was a street there that went, and it's not. Sometimes we get a picture of a thing in our mind, and we think about it so often that we just accept that that's the way it is. And that may not actually be the way it is. Most of us know that in the original text of the Bible, there were no chapter divisions, there were no verse divisions. Those are modern, uh, well, modern, medieval. It's kind of modern. It's modern compared to this. Uh, Introductions to help people find their way through Scripture. So the chapter divisions and the verse divisions aren't part of the original text. And we think about that, and we kind of know that. Something much more recent, though, that we tend to give a pass to and not even think about is a lot of you, uh, if you have a study Bible, it may have section headings. It may give you a little helpful section heading. The problem with that is that the people that were assembling your study Bible were going into it assuming that they knew exactly what it's about and they had one particular school of interpretation and they put their headings that way. So a lot of people, if you, depending on your Bible, you might have a heading right before this that says something like signs of the end times. And that's because for a long, long time, good for you that your Bible doesn't, mine does, unfortunately, but um, for a long time, people have interpreted these passages as being something about the last, the end time. We always, we want to know the end times. We want to know the hour, the day Jesus is coming back. Well, like most things in the Bible, these texts work on many levels. There is a lot going on here. But Jesus is actually speaking to a very specific audience. So we don't want to miss what's going on here and misinterpret it. This has just come after he's been sitting in the temple and criticizing the leaders of Israel, criticizing the Pharisees, criticizing the Sadducees, and the chief priests, the Herodians. And after he's done that, he's walking away with his disciples, and his disciples are saying, look how massive the temple is. And he says, I'll tell you the truth, very shortly, not one stone is going to be standing on another left of the temple. And they ask him, and they say, tell us about when is that going to happen? And we get this discussion from Jesus, which includes things like two men will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. And because people were interpreting that in terms of the last, last times, and not the question Jesus asked about, you get a lot of weird readings about that. We, that plays into some of the understandings of the rapture. Well, there are two people in the, pe- uh, in, in the field. One is taken, one is left behind. And, and you get that notion that, oh, that poor guy left behind because the other one was taken. And actually, what he's talking about was the Romans destroying the temple, destroying Jerusalem, and taking away people. So you really didn't want to be the person taken. 
Jesus is criticizing the Jews at this time because they don't recognize the Messiah who has come to them. They've been holding out all this time waiting for the promise of God, waiting for God's Messiah, and now God's Messiah is here and they're missing the time. That's why Jesus, when he comes to Jerusalem, he says, oh, how often I long to gather you together like a mother hand gathers her chicks, but you weren't willing and now it's going to be very bad for you because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. So these two parables are against that backdrop. Now, the first one, you have the parable of the ten virgins. You have five wise virgins, five wise virgins, and five foolish virgins. One of the classic contrasts in Jewish teaching, you see it definitely played out in Proverbs, is you can contrast foolishness with wisdom. What does foolishness do? What does wisdom do? And here, maybe the things that happen aren't the things we would think of. One is thing to notice is everybody falls asleep in this. Both the wise and the, and the foolish virgins, everybody's falling asleep. You might be tempted to think, you know, well, we've got to stay awake and stay alert till the Lord. But even, even the wise ones are falling asleep here. That's not the problem. The problem is... Some of these people are acting like if, if the bridegroom's coming, it has to be soon. And if it takes longer than that, well, maybe, maybe he's not coming. If you were in Israel now, it had been a long, long time. You're no longer a kingdom. You've straggled back from exile 400 years ago. And then for 400 years, you really haven't heard from God. Foreign powers, different foreign powers have overrun your nation. You've fought civil wars against them, and the Romans are just the latest in that chain. You might be tempted to think God has abandoned us, or maybe maybe that was never, you know, we heard those stories about how God brought our forefathers out of Egypt. We, we've heard those stories, but... It's been a long time and nothing's happening. They aren't staying with it. They're not still expecting that. Now this picture, the bridegroom, that is one of Jesus' favorite pictures of himself. Church is his bride and he's the bridegroom. That is also a picture that has good Old Testament antecedents. So when the Jews heard this, they would understand this is a messianic parable. They're talking about the bridegroom. They're talking about Messiah coming back. But only half the people were still ready. They still believed. The other half, it had been taken too long. And when the Messiah came, they weren't ready. They hadn't kept themselves ready. They'd given up. This can be us. I mean... Really, it's, it's been a long time. When I first became a Christian, just because of the culture and the expectation, you have that kind of, you'd always hear the testimonies, you know, my life was horrible, and then I 
found Christ and now everything's great. Things are better. I have hope now I did not have. But, you know, 40 years on, still here. There's a lot I'm still waiting for. It would be very easy to think, this isn't coming. But you've got to be expectant. You've got to be ready. You've got to keep your faith. Because at this time, most of Israel hadn't. They were no longer prepared. And when when Messiah came to them, they weren't ready. And said, I don't know them. Then we're going to get the parable of the bags of gold or the talents. This is a really interesting one. If you're the nation of Israel, you've been given treasure. You've been given the word of God. You've been given the temple. You've been given the worship. They have these treasures. This is a really interesting parable because at the time, Pharisees and Sadducees, the people that had material prosperity, would think of themselves as having God's favor. So when they first, when you first hear this parable, they would be maybe thinking of themselves as the people with all the talents. But they haven't done anything with it. They're not really the people that have the talents. They're going to be the people that have one bag of gold. Because what they've done is they've just held on. It's like, Master, I, I, I knew you were this harsh person, so I, I buried your gold. These are the people that are like, we're going we're gonna to keep it out. We're going to tough it out. We're going to maintain faith. When the Lord comes back, we're still going to be doing, you know, going to temple and we're going to be in the synagogue and we're going to be reading the Torah. But they're just maintaining what they have. That was never the charge to Israel. Back in Genesis 12, God told Abraham, he said, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. The original charge of Israel was to be a blessing to all the nations. When Jesus addressed them in the Sermon on the Mount, he's addressing the nation of Israel as it is then. And he said, you're supposed to be the light of the world. But if the light becomes darkness, it's not good. You're supposed to be salt. But if the salt loses its saltiness... It's not good. You had a mission. You weren't just supposed to hold hold on until God came. You were supposed to be his vehicle to bring his blessing to the world. And you've taken that and you've said, this is our thing. We're going to hold on to it. We're not going to lose it. We're going to hold on to the end. We're going to be a remnant. They had this fortress idea. And because of that, when Messiah came, wasn't what they were looking for. And every Jew would have understood the parable of the master coming back and demanding an accounting from his servants. They would have understood that as the relationship between God and Israel. Many Old Testament pictures in Psalms, we talk about the man that built a vineyard and he sent his servants to get his. That kind of accountability language is... Would, they would understand perfectly. This is, this is talking about God and Israel. 
So here's this master, and he's coming back. What have you, what have you done with what I've given you? Now, not everybody has just buried their treasure in the ground. One of the unique things is in the Holy Land, you definitely have the Jews that are fortressed up. They're like, holding on. They're just, we're going to be a remnant when God gets back. But a lot of Jews had been dispersed throughout the world. Some of them are really engaging the cultures they're in. This is why we have a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Because you had Jews who had moved out into Egypt, Jews who had moved out into various parts of the Roman Empire, and their first language was no longer Hebrew, and they needed a Greek New Testament. And, oh, by the way, the people around them, the scholars around them, could read Greek too. And because of that, some of these ideas began to percolate and infiltrate the larger world. And there were Jews like Philo who felt called to engage the culture and say, this is, this is kind of how we believe, this is how we do things. So there were Jews out there that were sharing what they knew. This is going to be where the gospel first takes hold. When Paul moves out, you're going to hear, when he comes to town, you're going to hear about God-fearers. Those God-fearers are the pagans who've been attracted to the God of Israel because of the witness of the Jews living among them. Not all the Jews are just holding on until Christ comes. What causes somebody to do that? What's the difference between somebody who takes what they have and invests it and somebody who buries it in the ground? Well, you get this statement. You get, oh, I knew you. I know you're a hard man. You, you know, you reap what you haven't sown. You're a hard man. It's fear. It's a scarcity mindset. It's that you believe that that's the way God is. You have this view of God that is not generous, that is very tight, and you want to make sure you don't lose what you have because you don't know there might not be enough to go around. That is not the view of God that is in Scripture. Scripture says you can tell a lot about God from creation. God makes his rain and his son to come on the wicked and the good. He doesn't just hold it. Matthew 6, when Jesus is instructing us how to pray, he says, go ahead, ask God for your needs. Ask God every day for your daily bread. He's not going to run out. He cares for you. He gives the pictures. He says, look at the ravens. They don't work, but God provides for their needs. That's the sort of father you have. Ask and seek. He says, if your son asks you for a fish, are you going to give him a snake? And then that wonderful statement, and if you, who are evil, by the way, must have been great to be sitting there. You're one of his disciples, and he's preaching to you, and he goes, and, and you guys, you evil people, um, excuse me. It's like, yeah, compared to God, you're evil. But, but even you know how to bless your kids. Your God is a father. Every time we get language in scripture that's addressed to people who are on the outs, who are downtrodden, it is a door open wide. You get that parable of the father and his sons. As soon as the son is coming back, he rushes out to see him. You have the woman at the well, Jesus doesn't drive her away. 
Anytime you have the down and outs, Jesus welcomes them. And that is his criticism of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's like, the tax collectors and the sinners are getting in ahead of you because they see the door is open and they're coming in. It's only the people that think they already have it together that end up on the receiving end of the harsh messages. And it's because they think there's a limited supply and they think they already have it together. They're the, they're the ones who are, are right and they have to hold on to that. They're fear-driven. They have a scarcity mindset. And that's dishonoring to God because it's saying at the bottom, oh, well... You know God, he's harsh, and you really got to make sure everything's all right. That's a very different picture of God from God who so loved the world that he gave his son. And even though we get that picture in John, we don't always live it out as a church because much like Israel we still sometimes get into that scarcity mindset. We're like, ah, oh, we, we got to hold on. We're faithful remnant until he comes. No, we're workers in the harvest. Scripture, Paul says, God is reconciling all things to himself, and we are invited to be part of that and bring that redemption as far as creation goes. But it's easy to get fearful, especially if it's been a while, and think, oh, I just got to hold on to what's mine. But that's not the heart of God towards you, and that's not the heart of God towards his creation. The big revelation that Jesus brought back to Israel that they should have realized from their first calling was that God loved them. He calls Israel the apple of his eye. The original picture of creation was of a God who created everything as a place to share with us. John tells us God is love. Creation was an act of love. That overflowing blessing is an act of love. If you remember, we serve a generous God and there's always more, then it's okay to take what you have and spread it out because you don't have to be afraid. There's always more. God is not a God of scarcity. He's a God of more. But if you think it's tough just getting in by the skin of my teeth, then you're going to take what you have and hide it. We're not called to be people that hide what we have.